Hey, legends, you know, none of our interviews or episodes ever date, ever. They are all timeless and ready for you for when you're ready to listen. Download the lot and rip in. The great ones, they're different. They really are. Not better, just different. Sure, there's a physical power, a mental strength, a complex but resolute constitution too. There's a whole lot more than just the measurables. That's something else, that intangible. It separates us from them. Welcome to the Legend Series on Andy Raymond Unfiltered. 30 years interviewing sportsmen. It's amazing, at times educational, sometimes disappointing too. Then there's times like this, sitting down with one of my childhood heroes, but chatting, laughing and reminiscing like old mates. On the field, he was the rarest of talents. Off it, he's a role model and an absolute gentleman. But who is Mick Cronin? Oh, that's a good question. Probably someone who was born in Duringong and never wanted to leave. Do you still love your footy in 2021 because it's been a long journey? Look, I've just given up coaching Duringong this year and I've coached them the last 12 years in first grade. And people sort of said, oh, you're giving it away. I said, well, I'm at the age where <laughs> I think it's probably time and I probably eliminated a few coaching careers in Duringong and plenty of people like the job. But that's, you know, I really just think it's some time for somebody else because I've really enjoyed the last 12 years. Where does your footballing journey begin? What year? Look, Derringong's a mad football town. Yep. And I can remember a father taking me to watch a first grade grand final in 1956. I can't remember the game, but I can remember me taking me. A lot of the people who come to the football, I mean, they were relations, all rugby league footballers. My father loved the game. So yep. from an early age, born into rugby league. You played first grade with Derringong, am I right in saying as a 16 year old? No, that would be one of those exaggerations, but I was 17. I was actually 17. Okay. I, left, I was 17. Your first year, you scored 316 points in just 20 games. Were you always going to be something special as a rugby league player or, or didn't you realise what you had? Look, that's probably the second year I played, actually, that number of points. But look, there's a broadcaster in Wollongong is at tw- the age of 12 said I'd play for Australia. And it was not something I never thought about. And I thought, oh, this is one of these blokes saying something. Never look. My ambition as a young bloke growing up was to play first grade for Jeringong. Seriously, never had dreams outside of that. All yep. my all my heroes were people who played football for Jeringong. You know, and actually one of one of them went on to play for Australia. Actually, a bloke by the name of Paul Quinn. Yes. Well, he's a, I mean he's a relation. Actually, my mother's first cousin. But so as I said, it was always around football. It was always they'd come to the pub and go and watch the games. But no, I never had. Great dreams. As I said, my dream was to play football for Durangong. Who and when was the first offer to move to Sydney and play in the New South Wales Rugby League as it was? Uh, 19, 1970. That was, I said that was my second year in Durangong. Kevin Humphreys come and saw me after, come and saw me after a game in Kyim. I just said, I'm not interested in going to Sydney. Simple as that. And there was no long conversation. I think made it clear. But, um, yeah, so that was the first. What was the reasoning? It just well, it wasn't your love? You were oh, playing for game. fun? Love the game. I thought I'd probably play for Jeringong for 20 years. Yeah. But no, it wasn't. I just, yeah, look, love Jeringong. Always thought I'd live in Jeringong. That was simple. You know, to get play football in Sydney, well, always the thing was to, you had to go to Sydney, so to speak, and that wasn't where I wanted to be living. So 
and it never really worried me at that stage. You know. We'll rewind back to 1973, an amazing year. You first represented country in city country. Then you became a very rare member of a club that got selected to play for Australia from what we term bush footy. Not just selected either. You went on a kangaroo tour, played two tests and ten club games. Was that a dream come true? Well, as I said, I never had that. And look, I've got to be honest, that was the toughest. The week I got selected was the toughest week of my life because I hadn't played great in the lead-up games. Okay. Realistically. There was a bloke here called Kevin Walsh. He was Australian selector, and yeah. he stuck with me. But I'd played with his son since I was about 10 or 11, so he'd seen me play all my life, and he had more faith in me than I probably had in myself. But his previous two people he'd, he'd p- picked from the country were Paul Quinn, yeah. who ended up, ended up playing for Newtown, and, and a bloke called Tony Branson. Yes. So I was the, probably the third one, and but that week, was that day, that was the toughest week of my life that week I got picked because... The day after I got picked, the first phone call that morning was about six o'clock. And the first question was, how's it feel to be the most criticised selection ever? Now, this was a bloke from the country who'd never, never spoken to anyone about anything, really. Yeah. I felt like saying, oh, gee, that's a good question. But I'd have had an answer today, but I didn't have a real good answer then. <laughs> <laughs> Where rugby league is now, it is amazing to think that guys could be selected from the country back in the 70s. Well, it could. It was just it was a lead up. You played for had a country divisional championship. Yep. You picked to play for country. Like country'd go and play three games in Queensland, or sometimes three games in Sydney before they went play the Sydney side. But yeah, today they today they've grabbed. They're looking at everyone by the time they're fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. I think the last person to do it might have been Slippery Morris, actually. Yeah, little another South Coast boy from Dapta. Yeah, I think he might have done it from Dapta. Who was your roommate on the '73 Kangaroo Tour? Would you believe it? I had a room to myself. Did you really? The young bloke, a room to himself. Yeah, but I got a lot of knock on my doors. <laughs> Other black people wanted to know with the room being used. <laughs> <laughs> you were playing and touring with some of the greats of the game. What did you learn from the Kangaroo Tour? I didn't learn that I was a better player. Yep. I, I, I didn't have a lot of confidence, I've got to be honest. But what I learned was they weren't as good as I thought they were in some ways. Yeah. Like, look, what I'm saying, there's some out, there are champions. I mean, we look at the likes of. Langlands and yep. other places, you know, Beats and yeah, right. They were standout in their positions. But when I started playing in some of the games, I thought, oh, these people then, a lot of these blacks aren't any different to me. But I always remember early on, it was probably a bit of a different tour, that one. There, there were some established blokes and yeah. then, like everything. And, but and in Derringong, in my, in my, in I probably could do what I like. In the fact, that, not so much. That was just how you played those days. Yeah. And I used to chip kick a bit, but... I remember one day in the first early in England, I chip kicked, and I didn't think anything too much of it. And after the game, Bill Hamilton walked up to work, walked up to me. And he, he was a big support on that tour to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, he said, "I leave the chip kicking to Bobby Fulton and Graham Langlands." <laughs> I might have been from the company. I was country. I wasn't stupid. I said, "I'll cop the tip." <laughs> was it overwhelming to be touring with guys like that and mates with guys like that? Well, twenty-eight. I, I, I don't know whether. But look, I got I got reasonably well accepted. You know, I Lovely. can't complain about my treatment. There's probably some people on that tour who could, but I couldn't complain about it. You know, I started to play reasonably well to the yes. state. Well, they thought, oh, well, this bloke can play a little bit. You yeah. know, so I wasn't the biggest drawback in the side, sort of, so to speak. So then you become accepted. But you know, you sort of, you know, I was pretty quiet. But yeah, I had no dramas on the tour. And but as you said, you're looking out there and you watch a lot. You know, and I'm not. You know, 
Fulton, the first thing I know is about Fulton, he's such a great trainer, you know. After okay. he's finished, he'd be doing extra sprints or extra. And it wasn't, like, it wasn't a, I don't think it was a fluke that he was so quick off the market. Yeah. He'd do those 10, 15 metre sprints religiously and other, you know. So, and you, learn, and you watch the good players and watch what they do. There's a big difference between Gerringong 1973 to the UK 1973. I mean, that's a, a huge life experience for you. Well, you probably, like, I probably hadn't, I wouldn't have been on a plane till that year when uh, I flew out with the countryside to go and tour in Queensland. So that okay. would have been the first. So, to, yeah, to go over to England, well, it is very educational, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> I, learned a lot, I learned a lot of things that maybe I shouldn't have learned, but it was, no, it was, an, look, it, and I enjoyed it, you know, and I said a lot of good blokes there, and you have a lot, you know. I mean, they're all good blokes, but we're all, also there's a lot of different ones. I always, I remember on that tour, Father used to always tell me that the English players were better player than us. Okay. Up, oh, from the, not so much better, but they always said they were smarty, you know, in a yeah. lot of ways. Uh, I remember I met a bloke called Vince Corralius, yes. who Father spoke of and terrorised Australia apparently in the late 50s. I walked to a game with him. I don't know why, but we walk, and he said, uh, explain the game to me better in two minutes than anyone ever had to, to a degree. Wow. He said, I could still play against you Australians today. He said, you do nothing with the football. Meaning, he said, the, the game's this simple. He said, when your offside got the football, he said, you try and put your players where the opposition's not. He said, yeah. when the opposition's got the football, he said, you try and put your players where they are. I said, geez, mate, yeah. you just summed up the game. And he summed it up in two minutes. And you sort of lend your watch and learn. And, and that's what they were good at at those days. But then Australia got fitter, smarter, and you know, probably more professional. But, like, realistically, that was 73. And I think the last English side to win a... Test series in nineteen was nineteen seventy. Yes, I actually played against them the day after they won the third test for Southern Division. Actually, a touring game. Yes, yeah, I, play, I played for Southern Division, and we played. And the day after they won the third test, and Malcolm Reilly and I think Cliffy played. They terrorised us. <laughs> I think they might have. Been, I think they might have come straight from the party straight to Wollongong. <laughs> I'm, I'm not too sure. Any elite athlete will tell you it takes more than just being physically fit to be at your best. And our friends at Galaxy Finance can have you at the top of your financial game. From home loans to investments and self-managed super funds, they provide complete solutions. Call Galaxy Finance on 1300 91 and mention you heard it on Andy Raymond Unfiltered to get an obligation-free chat to see how Galaxy Finance can assist you. How many offers were there to come to Sydney and play, and, and from which clubs? Probably, I always remember, well, I, can't, I can't remember him just trying, he was the boss of Eastern Club Herbs at the time. Ronnie Jones, Ronnie perhaps? Ronnie Jones ring him, and he said, look, he just said... Would you like? I thought you might like to come to Sydney. I said, no, I'm not interested. He said, oh, I thought you might like the cash in on the kangaroo tour. I said, no, thanks for the offer, but I'm, very, I'm happy with that, you know. And I probably, you know, as a St George, but probably because you're a local in, yep. in North Sydney. I was always a North Sydney I was a North Sydney supporter all my life, actually. A Bears man. I was a Bears man, actually. Yeah, and, and Timmy pick up too because I become good mates with Timmy on. Yep. The, Timmy was a bit of a character, but he tried to get me to go to North and he tried to get me to go to Canterbury, actually. Did you actually have a verbal agreement with Canterbury at one stage? Well, look, that's, you do silly things when you think, when you, think you know what you're <laughs> going to do. And I did. I spoke to Peter Moore, and he seemed like a good bloke. He was. Yeah. I enjoyed it. He was a funny bloke. But I said, look, if I ever come to Sydney, I'll come to Canterbury. 
I think I made this statement in 1975, actually. Okay. Thinking I'd never come. And then I, the process with Terry Fernley probably started in 75, end of 75. He first came and saw me, you know, and I never ever thought any more about it. But when I finally just decided, well, actually, I was always looking for ways to get, he was too good for me, Terry Fernley. He wore me down. But, um, and that's what impressed me about him in some ways. That, yep. That's probably another story to a degree. But when I finally decided to go, I said, look, but I, give him, I said, I'll give him a word to Peter Moore that if I go to Sydney, I'll go to Canterbury. Yep. Now, if he holds me to that, I said, I won't be going. Simple as that. I said, if he holds me to it, I said, I'll just, I'll stay in Gerringal. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, I'll go and see Bullfrog. And at the time, there was a 13 import rule. Yes, yeah. Yeah, they, they had one spot open. They were keeping it open for Keith Harris. So Bullfrog said, I won't hold him to that. Yeah. Why in 1977? Why did you decide that was the right year, the right time and the right club? I don't know whether it was the right year or the right time, but <laughs> why I played disgraceful in 1976. There was no international football that year, but I was disgraceful and I, I wasn't training all of a sudden, was getting a, bit, getting a little bit harder. And, and my brother always said I should go. Um, yep. He was a smarter one in the family, only for the... <laughs> only, but um, only for the fact that when I come out of school and uh, playing for Gerringong, he said, get them to give you something to say. If you ever want to leave, they're not going to hold you. Yeah. I said, I'm never going to want to leave. Anyway, when I was 17, he went, and got a, he went and got a thing. I've still got a little bit of paper saying, if you ever want to leave, we won't, there'll, be no, there'll be no transfer fee or no, okay. we'll never hold you. So. But so he sort of said to me to go, you know, but I still wasn't. But Fernley first came and saw me then. What impressed me about him, after they, got, after they qualified for the 1976 grand final, yep. he came and saw me the day after. And I'm thinking, geez, if I was at a side in the grand final, I would have come to Derringong to see me. Yeah. The day after they got beat, he was here again. And I'm looking for ways to get him. Yep. I, and I, I pulled them all out. <laughs> I pulled that one out. I pulled out the one. I said, look, I won't be able to start training until February. I said, busy in the pub over that holiday period. <laughs> I pulled them all out, but um, he said, no, it won't be a problem. I said, look, I'll ring you back in a month. I'll give you an answer in a month. pub was different, then the phones were on the wall. Yep. I said, I'm going to ring this bloke, tell him I'm not going. I'm serious. So I'm pull, picking the phone off the, on the – he walked in the back door. Start, start all over again. In the end, I said, look, I'll go. I said, you're too, <laughs> I said, you're too good for me. I said, I'll go anyway. So – and that's funny. I said, look, I've had a bit of an injury this year too. He said – Oh, I said, I'll get you to see a bloke in um, Auburn. And I went and saw him anyway. He came to me when I was there seeing the Vogue. He said, look, will you sign this contract? He said, they won't believe you're coming unless you sign the contract. I said, oh, look, I told you I'm coming. I won't. He said, oh, will you? I said, oh, I'll sign it. Yeah, so I signed the contract. Probably the only one ever signed. But he said, they won't believe you're coming unless you sign the contract. So. But that's, he wore me down. As I said, there's a couple of things where you've got to sign the grand final. Yeah. Nothing more than that. Your first year in the big smoke? was 77. Parramatta won the minor premiership. They played a grand final as well. But Drew with St George, who would then win the replay, so close in that first year yet so far. Well, it was. I mean, I mean, my, my first couple of games were disgraceful too, a couple of trials, and it was always a bit of a joke about my mother. She won some money on the poker machine. It's her only vice, but she'd have to be away from during. She was playing the poker machines. And the bloke said jokingly, Said, oh, you're taking away our money. He said, we've got to use that to pay that useless crone. And <laughs> <laughs> my mother said, she went, she, she, 
Anyway, she, well, she, he looked at him and she, she wrote a name, had to write a name in the book, and she said, you're not. She said, I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, look, they were the one side that we probably had trouble with all year. Yeah. But as I said, look, if I kick a goal, we win the game. So mm. there was nothing in it. But, I mean, I've always believed that shouldn't be replays in those games. You should just play to the end either yep. way. Yep. And I reckon the following week, it was the flattest week, you know, but then, yeah. and they come out and they just got off to a fly. And, like, we were down the week before, I think 9-0 at halftime yep. and got back to 9-0. But they were, all the young blokes are enthusiastic and we just, yeah, it's one of them. But, you, you know, you don't win them all and you've got to, you know. You'd go on to win four, obviously, but you lost two in 77 and 84. But by just a couple of points, does time heal those old wounds? No, I've I, I, I got to be honest. I always say... You just file the wins away. It's the losses that keep coming back yeah. to haunt you, you know. It's funny. It's funny how they annoy us, even like in coaching and during on. The losses annoy you because the wins are there. They're there for everyone to see. You yep. haven't got to worry about them. But it's funny, after the first first grand final, we got beaten back at the club afterwards. This woman came at me. She said, you wouldn't have the hide to come back next year, would you? I said, I hadn't really thought about it. <laughs> oh, oh. I, said, I said, I hadn't really thought about it. I said, at this stage. But, yeah, it's funny. And, look, the fans, are, you, you know, you if you if you got to like them when they're good, you've got to put up with them when they're, when they're bad. Your first two years, top point scorer and winner of the Rothmans medal. Bloody easy, this professional football. Is that how it felt? Oh, no, I can't say. Look, I always enjoyed playing the game. And I reckon – and what I figured out, I think I figured out, is that if you use the players around you, they can help you. If you use the smart ones, and yep. they'll help you play. But it's funny, the first Rothmans medal – you get an inv- invitation to go, and I yeah. said, look, I'm not going. I said, I can't stand these things. Yep. They won't forget me. The day of the Rothmans medal, the Blake rings up, boss of the league, and look, he said, uh, you're going to the Rothmans medal? I said, oh, no. I said, I don't need another trip up. You know, I'm going up three times, four times a week. Yeah. He said, oh, look, we'd like you to come. I said, look, I'm not. No, I said, look, I'm. He said, it'll be embarrassing if you don't come. As I said, I'm from the country, but I'm not that slow. Yes. <laughs> so then I had to go and try and find a suit. <laughs> oh, dear. And the, woman, and the woman told me, this is what they're all wearing. Well, when I got there, I, thought, I think I was the only one wearing it. <laughs> is that right? You're the, you're the oh, odd one out. No, I, well, no, there was plenty of ones there, but it wouldn't have been one I'd have picked if I'd have been picking myself. Yeah. <laughs> Back in 1977, I mean, you were still living in Gerringong, and as yeah. you said, you were making the trip. What was... Uh, what was the daily commute for you? Because that's before the freeway and and a whole lot of things. It was probably a couple of hours, wasn't you know? But okay, it was my decision to do it, so I don't worry yep. about it. But like, you'd work in the pub to twelve o'clock on a Friday night. We trained at eight o'clock Saturday morning. I'd get up for training. I'd come back and work to the maybe ten that night. Then I'd drive back to Sydney that night. I hated travelling on the day of the game, yep. just in case something went wrong or yeah. something. So I wanted to be in Sydney just so I was a, I was a cab fare away. If yeah. I didn't. I didn't want to be stuck in. The fact we got no cabs in Durango, would have been a long. <laughs> so that, but that was it. But it never worried me because it was my own decision, and, I, yep. and only ever one year at a time. It was always one year at a time. Something special was building in blue and gold with the experience and the hard heads. There was a young group emerging. Peter Sterling, Brett Kenny, Steve Eller, Eric Groth, the list goes on and on. Did you realise at the time just how good these kids were? Look, you don't – well, Sterling come earlier and, as I said, Groth, 90, I think 77 he's running around in the yep. other – but he, he could always get – he'd always have something wrong with his knee, Eric. <laughs> but 
Ella played his first game in 79 in first grade, in his second first grade game, I think it's his second, did his knee, never played for 18 months. But Jack had coached him in the New South Wales side, so Jack had an opinion of him. Yes. Kenny, in 1980, Bob O'Reilly and Beetson came to me and said, you should get here early. I, did. I just wanted to get there half an hour before the game or 40 minutes, be yep. dressed and ready to go. They said, you should get here early and watch this bloke play, this Brett Kenny. They said, he can play. Well, it wasn't long after that he was in reserve grade, not long after that he's in first yeah. grade. I always used to joke with Brett. I said, the game's too easy for you. I said, it's <laughs> not fair. But So you, you knew there was something special and not so much special, but you knew they could play. And look, yep. we were fortunate enough, like that 80 side, we had a good side in 80 and we never made the semis. Yeah. Different, you know, Pricey got injured and different things happened. But we missed, probably missed out on one game. You know? Yep. But you knew we had plenty of talent there and then – and Jack come and then – look, Fernley should have won a comp, realistic. Yeah, I you agree. Know, 76, 77, and even 78, we weren't that far away, but in the end it was probably our fault we got beat. But he deserved to win a comp, Terry. And, but Jack always said to me, he said, I, I come here because I knew with Terry being here, every, everything would be in place. And it was because yeah. Jack arrived in 1981. Yeah. What was the difference that you could see? Probably those young footballers. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Oh, look, Jack used to always say, he said, I notice the better the players, the better I coach. Yeah. So, and you, you got Kenny. You know, he was a freak, Kenny. Ella the same. Growth, Sterling, just a complete footballer. And you had it like a price and edge and, you know, Hildy, Joe Riley. Steve Ella's the one that probably doesn't get the credit for just how good he was because <laughs> there were so many of you guys around him. I mean, the day, the day if he was playing today with all the coverage, you know, in eight yep. games, everyone had realised, but... In those days, there's one game on TV. It's like, like a lot of Eric Rowe's best stuff it was chasing people and running them down. They they drag out one or two, but there's a lot more than that of where he chased yeah. blokes for 70 or 80 metres. And, but, and uh, to the other side of the field. Oh, from everywhere. He was, we always used to say he's quicker chasing than he is running. Yes. Yeah. After he, was, he had to run fast to catch some, but when he only had to go as quick as he had to, like, they were big in those days on, you know, getting stuff on the ground where you've got to get up and yep. go for five metres. I said... Eric's the only bloke who can get up and be in front after two and behind after four. <laughs> he, could, he, could pull up, he could pull up as quick as he could start. But, look, in some ways, they all, they're all characters in some ways. Yeah. They might be like the day. They might be your TV personalities, like that, but they're all characters yep. within the club and within the setup, you know, and they're all a few comedians amongst them. And Paul Taylor, he was just a bloke everyone wanted in the side but, yes. but didn't fit them. He didn't fit them, what they thought the fullback should be doing. Yep. But those who played with him just... They wanted Paul Taylor there. In part two of the Mick Cronin story, premierships, that Arthur beats and punch, and the unfair expectations placed on the modern-day player. If you're enjoying Andy Raymond Unfiltered, we'd love a five-star rating and review on whatever app you're listening on. Best weekly review wins an unfiltered trucker's hat too. The Mick Cronin story will continue. Make sure you... Come back soon, legends.